way, man. There you go. Want to get you? There we go. Perfecto. Hey, Tom. Thank you so much for joining me. Sure, Donald. My pleasure. Oh man. Um. So, welcome to No Thanks But Yes. Chill conversations with splendid people, featuring folks like yourself who uh, have overcome a chaotic drug relationship via many pathways and have gone on to do extraordinary things. And I've been so looking forward to having you on. Yeah, it's been a, a few months in the making, so uh, that's. Uh, but I think worth waiting for. I hope so. It was definitely worth definitely worth waiting for. Well, you know what? We always start off with giving you an opportunity to introduce yourself however you wish to do so. Yeah, so I'm happy to do that. Um, you know, my name is Tom Hill. Um, I am, I for many years, I identified publicly as a person in long-term recovery. I've, in, in the past couple of years, sort of shed that, that, uh, that introduction. I just talk about um, sort of my life in recovery now as a gay man, as a queer man, as um, as uh, a person who is now retired from doing um, a couple decades of work in uh, recovery advocacy uh, and various recovery services, and um, just somebody who is really just loving every minute of his life right now and so happy to convey that. Um, it's just, you know, it's like, I just feel like I'm the most fortunate person in the world. So, um, just really happy about all that and happy to talk about any aspect of that. That makes sense. You say you, you, you are a person who has once had a chaotic or unhelpful relationship with substances and now no longer do what, what, what does that mean to you? And if, if do you self-identify as a, as a person in recovery? Well, I do identify as a person in recovery. I, you know, I follow a pretty multifaceted path, but but one for 30 years that's been pretty consistent and, uh, you know, is an anonymous fellowship that many other people are a part of. And um, I certainly have a healthy critique of that program, but I also know that in many ways, it's just been really advantageous for my growth and development. Um, and it has sort of kept me on a consistent um, trajectory. Um, so if it ain't broke, don't fix it is sort of my, you know, feeling about that and recovery in general. Um, the whole long-term recovery thing, you know, that I was part of a, the early part of a movement where that introduction for people made sense at the time. Um, and it was based on research of people not knowing much about what recovery meant. Uh, and sort of emphasizing uh, sort of the techniques of recovery to people who didn't know better. But, you know, so many things that we developed in those early years, I feel like are, are archaic now. We've outgrown them. Uh, we've expanded our knowledge and our consciousness, which is always a great thing. And in any movement, I think you have to keep moving forward and changing uh, customs and culture and language to sort of meet uh, the place that the movement is at now and where people are at, especially with people that are jumping on board for the first time. So, you know, um, I, you know, I, I think that's a really healthy thing. And I think, you know, it's time to look at a lot of things that were developed in those early years and take them apart and retool them and put them back together or, or throw them out completely, what, you know, whatever the case may be. Faces and Voices of Recovery did some field research on public perception of what it means 
when someone says I'm in recovery or I'm a recovering alcoholic. And, and to our surprise, the public perception was that we were not well. So Faces and Voices went about defining that. And, and part of that definition at the time, what made sense was the, the period of abstinence. And, um, and I too have deepened in, in my expression, self-expression. I say I'm a person in sustained recovery from severe mental and substance use disorders. I bring in um, you know, the, 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 the help that I receive from my mental disorders and the medications and, 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 uh, and all that. And, and I too have had, um, worked with a lot of people that had problems saying long-term recovery and, and had me really thinking, rethinking that, that term, but you, you make a great point that at its time, it was a matter of explaining to the general public what, what we all knew we meant. And, uh, and maybe hopefully now they understand. But you know, Donald, when, uh, uh, when like one of my first jobs in this whole sort of racket was working at the LGBT Community Center in New York City and doing a statewide organizing for LGBT people in recovery. And, you know, we talked to a lot of people around the state and we had a core group of people uh, in New York City and, and a really diverse group. And one of the things that we, def we define recovery as uh, a bridge back to life. And so and that, you know, that opened up the, the doorway for a lot of people who didn't necessarily fit into a certain mold for recovery, who were not practicing abstinence or were in uh, food or process addictions or codependency. And the link to all of that with us and our great learning for me was, was a history of trauma. You know, and a lot of it was uh, trauma from um, uh, being uh, queer children in a straight world, uh, from being people of color, from being people of certain um, uh, financial status, like uh, lots of different things that had sort of sort of built our psyches as children and young adults uh, and moved us to various forms of uh, a chaotic use or chaotic behavior um, that um, that that we had sort of <laughs> found the need to overcome in terms of sort of realizing our, our true and authentic selves. So um, learn that pretty early and learn that, um, that, you know, that people's defining their own pathways was a very, very important thing. Indeed, indeed. I, I, I like to discuss various formal and informal definitions of recovery that have come about over time. And, and I had not heard that one yet. And I've I had, I, naturally, I discussed the SAMHSA definition, this process of wellness from 10 years ago, plus that got revisited recently and still holds up. But one thing I learned recently uh, after reading Undoing Drugs by Maya Solovitz is that the Chicago Recovery Alliance, I always thought any positive change was a definition for harm reduction, which it is, but it was also intended to be a definition for recovery. And I did not know that. And it's, that's my new joint, Tom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I love that um, definition. It is very simple, very succinct and packs a big punch in terms of, of, um, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it, it is a good recovery definition, I believe. And, and Dan Big go, went on to say, as people define it for themselves. Right. Yeah, right on. Um, tell us some more, more about what you've done in this space and, and, and kind of maybe what, what, uh, what you're 
doing right now if that intersects with what you've done or that may jump us right into what you do for fun not sure well you know yeah (laughs) it's almost so much fun um (laughs) until it's not you know um but you know it's like i i i a long story my whole life all i ever wanted to be was an artist so that's you know that's I, I, that's what i wanted to study that's what i wanted to be that's what i was um uh certain things got in the way from uh helping me sort of self-realize certain things that i wanted to self-realize um uh alcohol and drugs being uh some of those things but also you know just um codependency to a point where I did not have a very stable or healthy sense of self. I, I, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and so um, my, the parameters of my selfhood were, were so um, dependent on other people's perception of me and, 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 and it was very damaging. Um, so, you know, so when I, I, I went into therapy um, I also came from a family where there was a lot of addiction and chaotic use and, and lots of other things, you know, like when I got and I went, got sober in 1992. And I think the ACEs study had not, had not been, it may have been initiated, but it had not started. Yes. And when I, you know, when I got the research findings from that, it gave me a framework that would have really been helpful in early recovery that I didn't have but it enabled me to, to put pieces into that framework that made a lot of sense in terms of who I was, who I wanted to be, and then how I would plan to get there was a whole different thing. But it gave me a vision for myself, both past, present, and future that I did not have, even in early recovery. So, so that, you know, that information about trauma and being able to make some kind of historical sense of that for myself was really, really important. And um, so in early recovery, I did a lot of, a lot of uh, work putting my sort of life back together, um, physically, spiritually, emotionally, a, a lot of really hard work. And through the course of it, I sort of found a calling away from being an artist and toward what was not even termed recovery advocacy at the time. Um, but I went, you know, I went back to, to school. I studied uh, social work. I got a master's degree in community organizing. I had been involved in ACT UP and Queer Nation, both direct yeah. action groups, and sort of developed a sense of uh, a social justice, both for myself and for other people in the world uh, that I'd already always had, but it gave me a vehicle for that. And so a lot of things did start to come together. and. Uh, I got pulled farther and farther away from being an artist because I really believed that I was called to do this work. I was pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, and there was, uh, and, and I didn't know that I was good at it. And it was like sort of exciting to be able to be part of this new thing and uh, and sort of a- add my voice. I will say that, you know, it's like, I'm not a scientist. I don't think scientifically. I, I'm an artist. I think very intuitively. I'm very creative. I like putting things together. I like making things out of nothing. Um, I, I like making shit up. Um, I have a very punk aesthetic in that way. Yes. Uh, do it yourself. And that really helped me in terms of, of 
creating or being part of creating something that didn't exist, that wasn't even there. So, you know, there was no such thing as evidence-based practice because there was not even practice-based evidence then, mm -hmm. but there was a vision of something that was not working and that there was a, 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 a collective sense of that we could come together and make something that could work in spite of everybody saying that it never would. And so, you know, I was also enough of a maverick to want to be a part of something like that. But if somebody said, no, you can't do that, it's like, well, you just watch us. Mm. We're gonna. Yes. <laughs> and we did. And, uh, and, then, and then it became something totally else, you know, but that's, that's a whole other story. But it's that it's um, that there was uh, a need of people that that weren't getting what they needed to make them their lives better and a will, a collective will to figure out how to make that happen. In spite of all of the systems that were put in place, but not really doing their job in terms of moving people along from where they were very, very sick to where they needed to be. We always talk about when, when, when we met. Um, now you, uh, you, you lent us some splendid guidance as North Carolina became aware of this national recovery movement. And we wanted to organize some uh, recovery support services. And I finally got to go meet you in person. And it was at an ARCO summit in 2015. And the first slide in your deck was out of an art movement, <laughs> comfort the disturbed, disturb <laughs> the comfortable, <laughs> comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable, which art should do. But you were speaking about our social work, our advocacy, Right on. Okay, great. So part of uh, your uh, 20 years of service was some, you know, some, some just pioneering work with faces and voices of recovery in, in organizing and mobilizing communities of recovery, defining advocacy and community-based recovery supports, and then moving into federal service um, senior policy advisor with SAMHSA, and then at the Office of National Drug Control Policy, you've you've had um, you, you've you've made us all proud, man. <laughs> you know, it's I I never wanted to be a bureaucrat. I never I never um, my goal was never to work for the government. Um, my resume wasn't leading up to that. Um, my, my my education didn't lead up to that. Um, and and there are lots and lots of smart people and especially in the government and especially in government, you know, uh, uh, presidential appointed positions that mm -hmm. have, have spent their whole lives putting together this this moment in their lives. Um, so in some ways, you know, again, I think maybe that worked for me, you know, that that I didn't have the level of investment that my career was. Uh, this was the pinnacle of my career or that I, my career was sort of standing on this moment. It was more like you know, what can I do with this moment? What, what can I bring to the table in this moment to sort of, you know, help move things along in terms of change? Uh, and, and, and I'm proud of, of the things that, uh, that I and we were able to do in, in both of those positions. But, you know, I, um, my heart has always been working at communities. My heart has not been working, you know, at the bureaucratic or government or policy level. I would much rather train people to do advocacy or like to, to make those legislative visits than actually do them myself. Yes. So 
Um, although, you know, I keep pick up skills along the way and, and all of that's good. But, you know, in terms of, uh, of, of all of those, you know, it's like, I did not plan this career. I did not particularly want this career. <laughs> uh, I sort of like just kept saying yes every time somebody asked me to do something else because I had been trained to do that in, uh, in, uh, in, in my recovery program. And, um, and every time I said yes, something new happened. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, something I would tell anybody is that if I can do any of those things, anybody can do any of those things because I'm not really all that smart or all that gifted. I just happen to sort of be at the right place, often at the wrong time. <laughs> and, um, and I had a willingness, you know, I've, I've always had a willingness and I've had a desire to change. So it's like, like any position you go into, you know, what's the leverage of, that you might have in terms of power and change and what toll is it going to take on you? Like, like there's a payoff all the time as well. And so, you know, like the higher, the, the higher you rise in level, the more responsibility you have. And it's a lot to shoulder, you know, it's, it's yeah. for somebody who always liked to sort of uh, skirt under the radar screen. <laughs> um, it, it, it had been a little bit of a challenge for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like I would always there's a part of me that always would rather sort of hide in the back of the room and just take everything in um, and then figure out a way to sort of make my change in, a, in, a, in, in an introverted kind of way. Um, but this called me to step forward in a way that really did challenge me. And I don't think I was afraid to step up to the challenge. And I think that I'm glad that I stepped up to the challenge. You know, it's like sometimes you think that you can't do things for a number of reasons, either you don't have the ability or the capacity or that that you weren't groomed for that like other people. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, I didn't go to Ivy League schools. I did like, you know, there's I, I don't have the pedigree for those kinds of things. So, you know, I can talk myself into like stepping back and saying, well, that's not for me. And so I've had to, you know, thank God for recovery in a way that gave mm -hmm. me tools to act as if, to step forward, to suit up and show up, to do all those things that I didn't think that I could do, but other, I listened to people who said, you can do that. We need you to do that. We need you to step forward for us. And I had a sense of responsibility to do that. And like for that, I think I'm probably the most proud of, yeah. of being able to overcome my impoverished sense of self my holding on to a, a, a worldview of scarcity and going for total abundance, you know, like <laughs> or, or the dream of total abundance. And, and that's a lot of what the recovery trajectory has been for me is to, um, to try to change my worldview and to think that if I can be a change agent in any of this, then I'll step forward and do it. It was uh, maybe 10 years ago or something I was on a project homeless connect committee and the chairperson had to step down and, and they were asking who wanted to step in. And I was like, that is definitely not me. Definitely not me, but my arm went up anyway. And that was a trajectory changing moment for me because it didn't kill me. <laughs> and it turned out to be okay, all right. And so I, I, um, later in, in my recovery, I have, um, I have shared with folks that it is in the, extending oneself facing a challenge or a fear coming out on the other end whether one is victorious or just simply not 
overly damaged. <laughs> it, it, it's a brain victory and, and, and it's, a, it's an expansion of recovery. And, and I'm really gratified I had those chances. So you, you said it so better. I'm, I'm happy to, really happy to hear that. I, you know, it's like, these aren't things that leaders often share. You know, it's like um, the, those feelings of insecurity we have that, sort of, mm. that can hold us back. But, um, but again, you're right. It's like, you know, it's like you look around and no one else is raising their hand. It's yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. I reckon. I'll give it a try. <laughs> um, I, I'm scared to death, but in recovery, I've been taught to walk through my fears. You know, it's like name them, identify them and walk through them. Yeah. Or around them or over them or whatever. But, but you know, it's like you acknowledge them um, because everybody has them, but don't allow them to hold you back. Don't, no. And, and I, I, I suspect a, a lot of us in leadership positions have a similar story of, of, of that insecurity, of that, uh, of that imposter syndrome and, and marching through it on the other end. And still not having a super inflated sense of self, but having some kind of calm confidence that, you know, I, I think I can do this it's, or it's not going to kill me. Yeah. You and I are involved. And just one more thing, Donald, you know, it's like the longer you're on the planet, the more times you're around the block and have said yes and step forward. And it's like, it is really sort of the Wizard of Oz, you know, it, it's just, it's all smoke and mirrors. And it's like... <laughs> You know, it's like, well, this wasn't so that this wasn't as difficult as I mean, it's work intensive, it's labor intensive, but it wasn't as difficult as I made it out to be or people made it out to be for me. You know, it's like it wasn't like only special people get to step up and do this. Yeah. And, th and that is the wisdom that we get to share with people who are coming yeah. up into those challenges. And, and we get to share that you and I are involved with the Recovery Policy Collaborative at the O'Neill Institute at Georgetown Law Center. Uh, we've been coming together for about three years to, to just talk about policy and, and, and connect with one another and network. And, and, and But recently we, we opened it up to some new policy scholars to come in and we met for a week up in DC to get, get them oriented to their policy projects. And uh, that came up. And it came up regularly about uh, this business of, um, of imposter syndrome. The applicants shared it. And then the collaborative members shared it. And then even guests like um, Michael Botticelli and Wes Clark were in the room saying, yeah, me too. <laughs> and that, that was mind-blowing to some of the kids in the room. Well, you know, one thing I've done consciously throughout my career is I've mentored young people, but not necessarily young people, nascent leaders, right? Nascent, and nascent like, leaders. What, you know how you, like, when you do community organizing, you can always sort of sniff out the potential leadership in the room. And it's not always, it's usually not the likely suspects. You know, it's the way somebody's organizing the food table or like there's people who just sort of take charge. And, uh, and I always notice those folks and, uh, and you know, feel like it's been my responsibility to groom them up. Um, and, uh, and over time, I've gotten a little bit more formal about how, how I mentor people. There's some mentoring programs and whatnot. And, you know, to sort of, um, sort of demystify all of that stuff. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing is, is that the addiction field, it's not like, you know, um, it's a pretty stigmatized field to begin with. 
and most people don't care about it or even know it exists. So it's, a, you know, it's actually like a little sort of microcosm that we can sort of experiment with and shine in a way. It's also, you know, I always like being able to put together things behind the scenes and then push them forward at the right moment uh, because no one's been paying attention. Uh, and then all of a sudden the moment hits and, and all your preparation is ready to go out. So in terms of, you know, building up, I, you know, I've, I've taken that seriously, the responsibility to build up leadership, mm. um, because I just retired in February and, um, uh, and have, have really majorly stepped back um, consciously. And um, uh, I'm really happy to see that there's, a, you know, a leadership bubbling up. Uh, and there's also positions that didn't exist 20 years ago in, in terms of careers and career paths and uh, and, and even grassroots leader posi leadership positions that, um, that, that that just didn't exist in our communities at that time. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm grateful for folks uh, like yourself who just felt felt the need to to help prepare nascent leaders for for what is to come, and and I'm also grateful for folks like. Uh, like Shelly Wiseman at the O'Neill Institute that kind of started formalizing that process yeah. with us. And because uh, many of us share our common experiences that we kind of stumbled into this, just stumbled into it and, and, and built our experience and our knowledge and our resilience. But wouldn't it have been nice to have someone hold our hand yeah. just a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so what are you, what are you doing now? In retirement, Tom, I know you're you, you're doing lots of cool, groovy stuff. Tell us, retirement's awesome. <laughs> it is, it's beyond awesome. Uh, I do, I have not had like one second of doubt. Um, first of all, it's just I, above all, it's nice not to have to earn a wage. You know, mm. it's like to be freed up from that activity. Because um, I always loved work. I I loved all the work I did. I loved going to work. I loved. I, I just. I've, I've just. I've been a worker my whole life, and I just. Um, I, I, I've never like dreaded going to work for the day. For the past fifteen years, I've been doing artwork in turn on top of working full time, and um, that's sort of you know I think given me a sense of balance and and helped me. Uh, um, sort of maintain some spiritual and emotional stability. But I have been really grateful in recovery to be able, like when I was working, it was always stolen moments. It was always like an mm. hour after work, like between getting home and dinner or an hour after dinner, maybe six hours on Saturday, maybe three hours on Sunday, just to keep things on a continuum but not really being able to delve into, you know, many hours in the studio a day. And so um, I've been in the studio every single day since I retired in February. And, um, and so with a certain peace of mind have been able to really delve into what I originally intended to do with my life, uh, to be able to go back to that and to be able to uncover some things that I put on hold um, even physical things that I packed up and never finished and put on hold and have been, been able to incorporate even 30 years later. Um, when I packed them up, I packed them up in early recovery. Mm. 
And um, so a lot of those things have their pre-recovery, they have a really painful but poignant meaning and have been able to find a place for those in larger art pieces to incorporate those in. So that's been a really great process and one that I've been really feel really gifted that my the trajectory of my whole life um, is falling into a place that that is just making sense to me and um, and things that I had put on hold or sort of tamped down and buried have bubbled up and um, and I have a chance to see them with a different set of eyes and with a different experience and with a different confidence everything's sort of coming full circle in a way that um, really, you know, it's so beyond me and, uh, and so much, uh, my, uh, my spiritual guidance and, and, and universal structure that is, uh, sort of, uh, taking care of Tom right now in a way that just feels really, really good. Do you, do you have a, do you have a message for people? In the end of the day, you know, you, you, you have a choice. There's a, a there's, tons of stuff in the world that'll tell you that you're not good enough or that you didn't use your day properly or you know it's like you have to sort of come to terms at the end of each day of how you use that day and um and so you know initially i just learned to lighten up on myself and it was like you know there, there's so much strife in the world right now there's so so many things that are really fucked up right now facts <laughs> And so, like I said, you change yourself first, but but I think, you know, I have taken this responsibility seriously as a, a responsibility to make change in the world um, and to, to, to figure out where the areas that I can be useful. Um, and it doesn't have to be grandiose, it doesn't have to be huge, but to, to make positive change, any positive change, however you define that. <laughs> as simple as that is how we started this this talk, talk today. That's and, right. And, and how we how we'll end it. You know, it's like any positive change. Gosh, it's been a treat, Tom. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, I appreciate you inviting me so much, Donald. I so uh, am enamored with you and the work that you do and uh, and this this incredible podcast you're doing. Um, you know, hopefully these stories will indeed change the world. We know they will. <laughs> so, um, so thank you.